The views expressed on this show by guests and the hosts on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and we're going to be picking up where we left off in the last episode. If you remember, we were talking about conflicting theories of fire-induced collapses from the other side. They still can't get their story straight when it comes to the Twin Towers. Well, you're going to find out today that that is also the case uh, when they're talking about World Trade Center 7. They have so many conflicting theories. Of course, our story remains the same because that is what the evidence shows. That is what happened. It was a controlled demolition on that day, but it's a really good exploration of uh, how they can't even come to any agreement when they're trying to push this official story, do everything that they can to avoid saying that, hey, you know, let's look at a controlled demolition as an option. And we're gonna be joined again by the same guests as last time. Our first guest is Ted Walter. Ted is the Director of Strategy and Development here at AE 9-11 Truth. He holds a Master's of Public Policy degree from the University of California, Berkeley. And prior to his current role with AE 9-11 Truth, he was the director of NYC CAN's 2014 High Rise Safety Initiative. He was a volunteer campaign manager for AE 9-11 Truth's Rethink uh, 911 campaign in 2013 and the director of NYC CAN's 2009 Bell Initiative. He is the lead author of a very important book here in the 9-11 Truth Movement that is Beyond Misinformation and also World Trade Center Physics. It's a 13-page publication. And uh, he's also written the 2020 Request for Correction to the NIST World Trade Center 7 Report. That is a long intro, but this guy does a lot of work here. So let's bring him into the stream. Ted, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be on. And he is joined none other by Roland Angle, who is the CEO here at AE 9-11 Truth, and he's doing a great job. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering, and he became a licensed civil engineer in California. He served in the U.S. Army Special Forces, where he was trained in the use of explosives. His 50 years of engineering experience has included designing and testing of blast-hardened missile launch facilities and designing U.S. naval explosive containers, as well as harbor terminal facilities, earth foundation systems, and hydraulic systems. So he knows his stuff. In addition, Roland has owned three construction companies and has taught engineering subjects to high school students. Roland, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad to be back. Uh, I'm just noticing, as I'm reading your bios here, that you're both graduates of the University of California, Berkeley. Do you guys know the school song? Roland? <laughs> uh, I would probably remember it if somebody sang it to me. <laughs> oh, I'm just putting you on the spot here. 
I'm not going to make you sing it. But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, I mean, this is very important to do because really diving into the other side, it's not just the NIST story that we have to go up against. I mean, we know what NIST says. We're taking them on in court right now. Uh, but there are so many other people that put out other theories. I mean, I've talked to architects who give me stories about what happened and they say that it couldn't have, or I say it couldn't have possibly happened. One guy tried to tell me that there was a simultaneous earthquake on the day of 9-11 and uh, that's why World Trade Center 7 went down, seismic activity and, and such. I mean, they just make stuff up because they can't come up with an explanation. Now, we focused again, uh, like I said, on the Twin Towers last week. We're going to be talking about Building 7 this week. Ted, why don't you set it up? Because really, this was your idea, and uh, you have been doing a lot of research on it. So just give us an intro to some of the stuff that we're going to be covering today. Sure. Well, for folks who did not see uh, the last discussion that we had about this, where we focused on the various theories uh, regarding the Twin Towers, um, we went through a presentation by Najib Baboud, um, who is a uh, principal, uh, managing principal at Widlinger Associates, uh, who did some studies into the collapse of the towers in Building 7, and basically looked at how, you know, his theory was one among, you know, a couple theories, mainly two competing theories when it comes to the Twin Towers, um, about how the towers came down. Abood interestingly, uh, you know, claimed that there was a that there was that there was a convergence of of key findings around how the twin towers came down, and also Building Seven, because he did he also led a study into Building Seven, and there's more more studies of Building Seven, and all of them have again different, essentially conflicting theories. Um, so we looked at his presentation two two weeks ago and critiqued it, and I think it's very you know. In some ways, it's so common sense that it can almost be hard to explain. But when you have, um, when the, the the sort of the official narrative that we've been given, and you have two or more different theories that sort of are trying to explain how these buildings came down due to fire, and we're supposed to all accept that it was fire, and yet there there is not consensus. They cannot reach consensus. Um, that is a problem, and as as and, and it really reveals that there's not any strong evidence for any one of those uh, collapse initiation mechanisms. Um, and Roland, um, you know, rightly stated that this is a real problem for the engineering profession. We can't have two sort of different theories, fire-based theories of how the Twin Towers came down 20 years later um, as a profession, that's just not acceptable. And so a consensus really should be reached. Um, and the paper that we're gonna look at today, which is focused on building seven, you know, that the author of this paper, his name is Jose Torero, is a little more transparent about the fact that there's not consensus around um, what caused the collapse of Building 7, according to all the engineers out there who, you know, who believe that fires brought it down, or who are saying that fires brought it down. Um, he's more transparent about it, whereas Abood tries to claim that there's still a convergence, there's still something of a consensus. But when you have completely different collapse initiation mechanisms, that's not a consensus at all. Um, so. Abood's study is one of the handful of studies that is talked about in Torero's paper. Uh, his name is Jose Torero, and he published a paper um, just a year and a half ago uh, with a few other researchers that was basically just doing sort of a survey of the handful of different studies, um, studies that are sort of in the realm of officialdom um, about how Building 7 came down. Because as we'll see, 
he omits um, the, the study at the University of Alaska Fairbanks by Professor Leroy Holsey. He, met, he omits a lot of other research, um, but he lists, he goes through, um, I wanna say four different studies. So we're gonna just talk about them study by study. Um, and uh, but we can, I think we can kick it off by, um, you know, if, unless Roland, if you wanna add anything, playing one clip from Abood's presentation that will just sort of uh, kick things off. Um, so yeah, Roland, is there anything you wanna to add to that or should we go into um, Abood's clip? No, I think that's a that's a good summary. I mean, as engineers, we're looking for a consensus as to the cause of this catastrophic failure, and we're not finding it. And yet, you have people that were associated with or part of the stories that are the official story, claiming that there is consensus, and that's just not true. So let's look at the let's look at the studies. All right, so Ted, you lead the way. Uh, you want me to play the first clip for you? Um, yeah, let's go, let's run it. So uh, I think it's important to understand that that's not part necessarily of the public narrative as to the sheer amount of investigation and brains and totally independent bodies. So this is not the voice of one side. This is the voice of many scientists and engineers from different groups looking at it. And I would say at the end of the day, the conclusions largely are converge around certain specific findings that I'll mention at the end. So as, as we see here, um, he lists a number of studies. Most of these that he lists are related to the Twin Towers, the first, uh, the first four. Um, the fifth one is his own study into the collapse of Building 7 uh, that was performed um, well, actually when he was at Weidlinger. I mentioned before that he's a principal at Weidlinger. He's now a principal at Thornton Tomasetti because they merged. Um, but in any case, so he, he lists as number five in that list um, his study into the collapse of Building 7. There's actually uh, several others. There's, of course, there's the NIST investigation, which we're going to talk about a little bit. There's also the competing study that was performed by uh, an engineering firm called Arup, um, and together with another firm called uh, Guy Nordenson Associates, um, which these were, to, to put this in perspective, two opposing sides of a lawsuit, Con Edison suing uh, Silverstein Properties, Larry Silverstein, uh, over the collapse of Building 7, saying that the collapse of Building 7 destroyed um, the substation that was located underneath it. And what, what um, Con Edison was trying to prove was that Building 7 collapsed due to a design flaw. Um, and so the, the, the Arup analysis, the Arup Norrison analysis is essentially geared towards that. How can we find a flaw? How can we attribute this collapse to some sort of flaw in the design of Building, building 7? Um, the Silverstein side was interesting. It was trying to prove that there was no way that we could have accounted for the, the, the amazing events that happened on September 11th. There's no way that you could design for this, that you could um, anticipate these events and design for these sorts of circumstances and these conditions. And therefore there wasn't any, there wasn't any flaw with the building. So they were having a very specific debate about whether there was a flaw in the building or whether there, it was, these were extraordinary circumstances and that's why the building collapsed. Um, and as a result, I mean, it's kind of odd and you have to wonder why Con Edison would not actually go for the hypothesis that accounts for all the evidence, which is that Building 7 was demolished and sue 
perhaps Silverstein, if they think he's he's guilty of it, um, for bringing down the building and destroying their substation, why go for this theory that is totally unsupported by the evidence um, that there was a design flaw with Building 7 and that was the cause of its collapse? We don't know that, but what we see is all these engineers in this lawsuit, for lots of money, it's all existing in basically like fantasy land, that they're having this debate about why the building collapsed. Um, the other study that we're going to, so, so he doesn't list that study for some reason, he says, and others. So presumably he was referring to the, um, to the, to the Arab study. Um, Torero also was a expert a witness on behalf of Con Edison and presents a different theory from Arab, which we're going to see in a little bit. Um, I'm not sure of the logic of why Con Edison presented two different theories. Um, Maybe the idea is being, well, it had to be one of these two reasons that the building came down, um, both of which are related to design uh, defects. Um, but so there's, you've got three different theories being put forward in this lawsuit. And then of course you have the NIST theory as well, which is totally different from them. Um, so, and, and again, as we've already noted, Abood likes to claim that there is some sort of consensus uh, when, there, when there truly is not. Um, so Roland, do you wanna add anything? No, other than the fact that, as you point out, there were there are other studies. We we paid for the University of Alaska to do a study on the failure of this building, and it came to a completely different conclusion uh, that fires didn't bring the building down at all, and it was uh, due to the simultaneous removal of all the columns in the building over eight floors, which would indicate that it would have had to have been controlled demolition. But all the studies that Abood cites here, when he talks about consensus in a very broad sense, he could claim that because they're all claiming that fires brought the building down. And the problem is that, all right, if you believe that fires brought the building down, how did the fires bring the building down? What was it that happened that caused the building to collapse in the way that it did? And they can't agree on that. So, uh, what they're saying is we all come to the same conclusion, but we can't tell you how we came to the same conclusion, which is uh, an anomaly and ca it can't stand really. You, 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 you can't allow that kind of diversity of uh, uh, conclusion to uh, exist in the, in the literature and in our, in our professional uh, ex understanding of what happened that day. So, Let's look at the three different, let's look at the different mechanisms that they propose for how the building collapsed due to fire. Yeah, and I'll just say, um, Abood does not want to talk about building seven in the presentation that he gave uh, last fall, which we critiqued two weeks ago. Um, but we have this paper from Jose Torero, which he published a year and a half ago. And so that's gonna be the vehicle the way you, that we use to look at these, um, that these different conflicting theories. So Andy, why don't we go to that slide and show. All right, so this is the, the cover page for the paper and um, research gate. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 revisited. You see there Jose Torero on the bottom right um, and a few other researchers all from the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Um, and why don't we go? Why don't we jump ahead to some of the key, the key statements in the beginning of that paper? I think they're next. 
All right, it says, as the first tall steel frame building to collapse solely due to fire, World Trade Center 7 has gained a reputation as a major incentive for bettering the community awareness of the risks fire poses to buildings. Despite this, the collapse of World Trade Center 7 is not as well understood as what one may think considering its importance to the field. That is from Torero. All right, and then go to the next slide here. Oh, I can click ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry, All right. So after years of investigation by some of the world's leading experts in both fire and structural engineering, there remains multiple possible hypotheses without any consensus on how the building behaved and failed because of the fire. And you want me to do the next one? I think we can just pause there for a second. There's not much more to add, but he's laying out there in a more transparent way than Abu did in his presentation, that there are multiple hypotheses. It's interesting that he calls them possible. Um, when we look at them in particular, when we, we've because we've exhaustive, exhaustively studied NIST, we find that it's not possible. Um, and when you dig into the Abu uh, paper, which is, you know, Abu's, um, report, he, he was actually, his one of his goals was to rebut the claims that there was a design defect. And so he actually makes some pretty good arguments for why the Arab uh, Nordensen analysis is flawed. You know, so, so they're actually, you know, when it comes to the lawsuit, they're actually all fighting against each other and trying to say why each other's hypotheses are incorrect. So to then turn around and say, we have a consensus here, um, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really fly. Um, and, and as I said, Abud makes some some arguments against the Arab Nordensen theory that, that we've also uh, been making, uh, that Tony Zambodi has been making um, for, for some time. Uh, so I think the, the next thing that we want to talk about before we jump into lo looking at these different theories, it's very important to note, and this is something that is left out of all of the engineering studies, you know, as if the only thing that they care about is computer models um and, and building and drawings and so on um what's left out are the circumstances surrounding the building's collapse and and especially the fact that the collapse of building seven was predicted for almost you know upwards of six hours or more um prior to its prior to the actual collapse um and this has been pointed to by many obviously in the 9-11 research community as a major issue how can you predict a building um, how can you predict something that is so so unlikely, so improbable when there's never been a, a, a collapse of a, a high-rise building due to fire before? Um, and we, so we were all, most people watching this are going to be familiar with that argument. We're going to show some of the some of the things that were said, both um, things that firefighters have talked about and things that were in the media, um, just to give a better understanding of this foreknowledge. But the thing that I think we're really interested in emphasizing here is the transition from this event being totally predictable, without a doubt it's gonna to happen, to the engineering community then being totally baffled and unable for 20 years to come up with a uh, an explanation that everybody can agree on as to how it came down. So we're gonna look at that, that evolution. So why don't we go, actually before we do that, let's, let's jump to the next slide here. Um, I was going to show some, we're going to look at some news clips, but first, 
here's something, Andy, why don't you go ahead and read it? But yeah, something that's we're, we're looking now at the FDNY oral histories and firefighters who were down there on the day of 11 talking about uh, the imminent collapse of Building 7. Sure. It says a police officer came up to me and told me that the facade in front of World 7 World Trade Center was gone and they thought there was an imminent collapse of 7 World Trade Center. I felt the location we were at was too close to 7 World Trade Center. So we advised citywide we were moving the staging area to North End and Greenwich Street, probably around 11, 1130. We reestablished at North End and Greenwich Street. Uh, that's from FDNY Lieutenant William Melarango. So a couple interesting things to point out about this. This was... Um, he says around 11, 11.30. So basically that's around the time that, that he was told that there was an imminent collapse of, of Building 7. Uh, very early on, less than an hour after the second tower had come down and more than six hours uh, before the collapse of Building 7. They were already being told to get away from Building 7 because there was a, a risk of collapse or an imminent collapse. Um, it's also interesting to note that early on, if you look when you look at more of these reports, Early on, the story was, oh, the facade is very damaged, um, the south the south facade facing the towers. Uh, structural, lots of structural damage to this building. As the day went on, the warnings that it was gonna come down tended to gravitate more than towards, oh, that there were fires in the building. Um, but so within these um, predictions of, of the, that the building is gonna come down, you had different rationales. Um, and, but, but there was an overall evolution from the idea that it was really damaged and it was going to come down to, oh, there's all these fires and it's going to come down. We can just go to the next one. There's a couple more of these slides. All right. This one says, then I remember seeing like a few different chiefs at the corner of West Street and Vesey Street throughout the day. They became very concerned about the condition of number seven world trade and where we were in vicinity to that. They kept announcing the collapse and who's moving, and we got pushed further and further west. That's FDNY, FDNY firefighter David Moriarty. Okay. Yeah, the main point of, of sharing this slide is to just point out that the um, the warnings were coming from a relatively small number of people. Um, the uh, Graham McQueen uh, wrote an excellent paper on this called Waiting for Seven, where he showed that there were comments from the um, FDNY personnel, about 50 of them, and, and showed that actually, because there was an argument made that, oh, they rationally concluded that the building was damaged and on fire and would likely collapse. You know, they, they all had this observation and looked at it and made that conclusion. When you actually study the, the um, oral histories, you find that the vast majority of them were told that it was gonna come down. They didn't judge that for themselves. So um, just a little more context there. Why don't we go to the next slide? It says, <clears throat> they pulled us all back at the time, almost about an hour before it, because they were sure. They knew it was going to come down, but they weren't sure. So they pulled everyone back and everybody stood there and we actually just waited and just waited and waited until it went down because it was unsafe. That's from FDNY EMT Joseph Fortis. Okay. so. They were sure that the building was going to come down. There was certainty and so much certainty that everyone just stood back and waited, even though they knew that there were, you know, thousands of people um, trapped in the debris, um, you know, possibly still alive. But the, the whole rescue operation was put off because 
they were so certain that Building 7 was going to come down. So what, let's jump now to looking at a few of the news reports out of all this certainty that building was going to come down. That started filtering into the media. Um, and uh, why don't we go with the breaking news CBS2 clip. All right. You've heard in the last few minutes is that there's now some concern about world oh. trade number seven. I'm just, this is the first clip that where we actually hear some concrete news that building seven, that they're concerned about building seven. This was at 11.55 a.m. So a little less than an hour after the news started circulating among the emergency personnel that building seven was in danger of black, 11.55 a.m. Uh, which ironically is where the, uh, the mayor's office of emergency management uh, has a bunker uh, center. Apparently there's some concern about the facade there. Uh, they're not uh, occupying uh, that location at this time from what we hear. So again, early on, it was the damage to the building, damage to the south facade. And as we'll see, the story changes a little bit if we go to the next video. building right there the brown building the tall one is number seven world trade center I've heard several reports from several different officers now that that is the building that is going to go down next in fact one officer told me they're just waiting for that to come down at this point that there's no way it's going to be recovered and there's no way that they can stabilize it all right let's uh that's a little later in the afternoon like mid-afternoon that is the building that's going to go down next uh why don't we go to the actually i think i have to upload the next clips one second Sure. While you're doing that, I mean, I just want to ask Roland, I mean, how important is it that they need to have their story straight on why this building came down? And also the fact that, uh, as Ted is pointing out, all these reports that the building is going to come down, most of these people were told that it was going to come down and they just waited. And you got to imagine a chaotic situation like September 11th going on. You know, a lot of people are going to be following orders that day. Um, but you know, despite this, uh, NIST had a trouble getting a handle on Building 7 by their own admission. Do you have any comments on that real quick, Roland? NIST admitted, and everyone that studied the, the structure admitted that this was a unique occurrence. The building hadn't been hit by a plane. There were some fires in the building. There was some damage to the facade. But for somebody at that point in the in the day's events to have concluded that that building was going to collapse is absolutely fantastic. I don't, I don't see any basis for it. And someone, there was somebody in the chain of command that had the authority to make that kind of a judgment. We've heard in other places, supposedly they talked to an engineer at some point and the engineer said that the building was going to come down within four to five hours. That's a, that's a that's a, that's straight out of fantasy land. I don't this the way in which they're they're uh, uh, theorizing why the building came down due to thermal expansion of some of the steel uh, floor members would have been you you couldn't have determined that from standing on the outside of the building and and looking at it. And there was they knew enough about fires in tall frame buildings to understand that they don't collapse due to fire. The towers at least had been hit by a plane. And so I can understand their concern or their knowledge that of course those buildings had collapsed, but this was a different case. This building had not been hit by a plane, had some minor damage to the facade. 
there's no way that somebody could have determined that that building was going to collapse and predicted it so accurately. It's just beyond, it's beyond belief. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I mean, FEMA initially said that their best hypothesis had a low probability of occurrence, but yet you have all these sources on the news predicting that this event that had never happened before, steel frame high rise, falling because of fire, completely collapsing, straight down symmetric, never happened before. They're predicting it with all this accuracy, maybe even right down to the to the minute would happen. I think they said something like five hours later or something to that effect, it's gonna come down and it pretty much did come down. And speaking of this engineer that's supposedly advising the fire department and all of these people, where is he? Who is he? I've never seen this person featured on any shows that claim to be debunking us. I don't hear of any of them being cited by any of uh, NIST or any of these uh, people that try to take us on. I'll tell you what, if he wants to step forward, I'll be happy to bring him here on 9-11 Freefall, but I don't think that's gonna happen. You know, I, uh, prove me wrong. But it seems well, like if we had this person on the street making this determination, we would be hearing more from him, and we don't. That person would have a would have a well-established claim to fame, and the fact that we we don't know who that person is or who these people were that were making this decision to this day is very telling. Because you would think that they would proudly step forward and say, "Well, this is this is we knew this," and and they could they could collect all the uh, all the glory for their foreknowledge. However, nobody has ever stepped forward to make that claim. So we don't know where this came from. And, and before anyone out there says, oh, he doesn't want any attention on him, fine. But go ahead and interview him. If you're somebody out there who is interested in this and you, you oppose us, go ahead and call him on the phone, take some notes, and give some credit, uh, some ownership to this determination to this person on the street. I want to know who it is. I won't bother him if he doesn't want to come forward or, or be a public person. But let's know where this determination was coming from. That's how a real investigation is done. But, of course, NIST was not interested in that. Um, so let's get back to Ted's presentation because he has the video clips uploaded. Uh, Ted, do you want to yeah. uh, introduce this next clip? Sure. Uh, this is, well, just another one. This It'll it'll speak for itself, but I do we do have the one that you guys are referring to with the engineer. Um, you know, the engineer telling them five hours. You got five hours and building's going to come down. So we'll, we'll get to that soon. Yeah, so are we able to play this one? I don't think I'm able to play it, Andy. Oh, sure. Here we go. <clears throat> you hear that? Keep your eye on that building. It's coming down. Closer to the building, it was almost like nighttime. What was left of the building was a fiery hulk. The firefighters thought it might collapse. Pieces of the building kept falling. Rescue workers pushed people away from the scene. We are walking back. There's a building about to blow up. On flame, debris coming down. All right, well, there, there you have it. Um, the building is that building is going to be coming down. The building is about to blow up. Um, that person, for many years, I figured that that was a some you know emergency personnel. It's actually he was actually a cameraman for CNN, um, and I saw this. Um, I, I came across like a Facebook discussion between uh, the, the reporter for CNN. There um, suddenly her name is escaping me, um, but uh, it was her cameraman. His name is Joe Cantali. Um, so he was there filming it and was told by 
law enforcement or somehow got the impression that the building was going to be brought down because he said the building is about to blow up. Um, you basically have the explanation right there before it happens. Um, you don't need to do 20 years of investigation. If you just kind of look at all the evidence surrounding how the building came down, the circumstances. Um, let's, let's look at now. A lot of people are going to be familiar with the next clip where it's actually, let's go ahead and play it. It's a BBC, um, news report at 4.57, so 23 minutes before the building came down. Here he is just coming in, actually, that the Salomon Brothers building in New York, right in the, uh, the heart of Manhattan, has also collapsed. Okay, so that was the first time that BBC reported it. It was at 4.57 p.m., 23 minutes beforehand. They announced the collapse of Building 7 before it happened. Most people watching this presentation, though not everybody, um, are, will be familiar with that report. Um, you can sort of speculate. I think the, the baseline explanation is that the um, they were so certain that it was going to come down that it, the media obviously had been ingesting this idea for a long time, and it sort of mutated into the building has come down. Now, some people hypothesize that there's some sort of a script that they were that they were reading off the events that were going to happen that, that were going to happen or something like that, and that they that see it that BBC got the wire early or something. I don't know. I don't really know exactly how news is made at a minute-to-minute -minute level, uh, but what I do know, and the way that I sort of maybe the simplest way to interpret this is that they were. Um, and the problem here, the real problem, is that anybody had any idea that this was going to come down and that the authorities were so certain it was going to come down that it was being widely reported and widely reported to the extent that you could make a mistake and say the building has come down. Um, that's, I think, the big issue here. Um, if we look at the next clip, uh, we'll see that another, uh, this is a local CBS, actually uh, reported it just before it happened. This may be happening less than like 30 seconds before it happened. And this will be our first chance for people who haven't seen the collapse of Building 7 yet uh, to actually see it. This just into Seven World Trade Center, which is the building that is there burning now. We are getting reports that it might have collapsed. It is the building that has been on fire all day long, and we are getting reports that it might have collapsed. Uh, joining us on the phone now is Scott Metzo. Scott was actually on the 81st floor at the World Trade Center when this tragedy happened this morning. Scott, are you with us? I am. Scott, tell us uh, where you were and uh, what you saw. I was in One World Trade Center. I was on the 81st floor, the south side of the building. Uh, a little before 9, we heard an explosion. Scott, let me interrupt. You are watching Building 7 at the World Trade Center collapse. That is the collapse of Building 7 at the World Trade Center. So there you go. Um, let's move on. I think we just got two more left here, um, but these are very important ones. So, okay. All right, so the next one? Yeah, the next one. On the phone with uh, New York Fire Department Lieutenant uh, David. And this is now Building 7 has just gone down, and Brian Williams is interviewing this um, FDNY lieutenant. David Restuccio, Lieutenant, where are you right now? I'm at the corner of Norm, Northmore Street and Greenwich Street. Can you confirm it was number seven that just went in? Yes, sir. Um, and you were, you guys knew this was coming all day. 
We had been had we had heard reports that the building was unstable and that it eventually would either come down on its own or it would be taken down. Okay, so you have a very important piece of information there, which is that this FDNY lieutenant was told that the building it might come down or might be taken down. So right there you have um, this hypothesis handed to you on a, on a silver platter. Um, and then it actually looks exactly like a controlled demolition. Um, I think at this point, anybody who was investigating this building collapse seriously would have immediately made, um, would have interviewed folks down there and made made controlled demolition their, their primary hypothesis for why it came down. Right. And let me just ask Roland really quick. Roland, as an engineer, how do you take down a how do you take down a burning building in a day? Well, that would be a very difficult proposition. They would have had to plant the explosives, which means you've got to get in the building. You've got to know what the you've got to know enough about the building plans and structure to know where to plant the uh, explosives. You've got to get hold of the explosives. And you've got to plant them, and you've got to uh, wire the whole thing. And this is not something that could be done in a matter of hours. This would take days, if not weeks, uh, even under ideal circumstances. And with the building on fire, that's that's an impossibility. So it's strange to me that, that the fire department person there would be making the inference that the building that it could be taken down when he had just seen it fall. He, he must have known that that was not a possibility for them to have done that that day. So I don't, uh, it, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. I, I'm sure that maybe in the beginning they thought, well, let's, let's, uh, let's float the idea that maybe it was taken down by controlled demolition, but any examination of the, of the facts would indicate that that was not a possibility unless they had been pre-planted. And so that's why they decided to stay away from that, even considering that hypothesis at all, because to even consider it would have would have uh, discounted the whole notion that this was due to uh, fires. It would have had to have been something that was pre-planned, and that would call into question all the events of that day and who was responsible for it. Right. Well, next time I have a firefighter on the show, I'm going to ask him how many times you've been at a fire scene and, and had people running in with explosive charges under their arms, kind of elbowing past you saying, okay, you guys do your thing. We're going to do ours. I have never heard of that happening before. It's so ridiculous. But here you go in that clip. The first time that I know of someone's introducing the idea of controlled demolition, and I find it very highly unlikely that the guy was just making it up in his head. Oh, they're going to take it down. Somebody told him that. All right, Ted, uh, why don't you pick up? Okay, and this is the clip you guys were referring to. I'm actually not able to play the next video. I can only play it once. Okay. Deputy Chief of the New York Fire Department that day remembers the scene. Well, we had uh, our special operations people set up surveying instruments to monitor and see if there was any movement of the building. Uh, we were concerned of the possibility of collapse of the building. And we had a discussion with one particular engineer there, and we asked him if we uh, allowed it to burn, uh, could we anticipate a collapse, and if so, how soon? And it turned out that he was pretty much right on the money, that he said uh, in its current state, about you have about five hours. Some people have interpreted this anticipation of collapse as evidence that the fire department and others were planning its destruction. 
All right. Well, we do, we spoke of that, about that one earlier. Um, you know, impossible and absurd that somebody could plan, I mean, could um, predict the collapse with that sort of certainty or that anybody would even try and say like, oh, it's going to happen in five hours. Um, it's kind of the, the the end of this clip is interesting because they say, oh, this is what pe people are using this to say that the fire fire department was planning, was involved in a conspiracy to bring down the building. And that's really unfortunate and I think intentional to sort of um, delegitimize and be sort of divisive and, um, you know, make people in the firefighting community think that 9-11 truth researchers and activists are you know, accusing them, accusing their department of being part of a conspiracy is a, is a great way to like divide people. Um, and the truth, of course, is, you know, if, you know, looking at all this foreknowledge, as Roland said before, the people that were in command there, probably the most plausible scenario here is the people who were in command were told by somebody that the building was going to come down and were given that sort of story that, we're really concerned about the damage, really concerned about the fires, et cetera. And even they did not make that judgment for themselves um, and that there was not some sort of grand conspiracy involving the fire department. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just important to disavow that notion right right from the get-go. Um, but, yeah. Um, Are you ready to play the next clip? I think we want to uh, show a couple slides now, and I think we want to say, yeah. okay, Everybody knew that this was going to come down. Uh, it must have been easy for the engineering community to explain why this building came down if everybody knew that it was going to come down um, and had been saying so all day. And if this engineer knew five hours in advance that it was, um, clearly this event was very, very explainable. Um, so why don't we see what the engineering community had to say about it aftermath? Uh, here's what the quote says. It says, engineers and other experts were for weeks still stunned by what had happened to Seven World Trade Center. Experts said no building like it, a modern steel reinforced high-rise had ever collapsed because of an uncontrolled fire, and engineers have been trying to figure out exactly what happened. Uh, that's from James Glanz of the New York Times, one of our favorite, web, our favorite uh, newspapers around here. Yeah, so I think right here, uh, you know, the, the lid is blown. Um, it, when you compare, when you juxtapose the foreknowledge with the inability of the engineering community, the, the, sh the shock, the, the, you know, them being stunned, um, right there, the story falls apart. I don't know, you know, it's, it's like, you, why were they stunned if everybody at the scene knew that it was gonna come down? Why didn't they talk to that engineer who said, you've got five hours and this building is gonna come down? Um, here, there's an obvious discord here um, that exposes that the foreknowledge was entirely based on somebody having the knowledge that the building was going to be brought down. Um, and so now you have this engineering community with all these, you know, leading experts in the, in the field studying this collapse as if it's some kind of mystery. Um, and that, that's what happens for the next 20 years. And now Jose Torero is telling us, and as we'll see in a little bit, it's still a mystery. We'll never know. We'll never know exactly why the building came down. Um, and, and sadly for the engineering profession and sadly for the world, um, you know, the engineering profession has its, by and large, has its head in the sand, are the people that have been called upon to explain how these buildings came down. 
have their head in the sand. Um, why don't we look at the next quote? And this is the, you already mentioned this. This is FEMA's statement in, in the spring of 2002. And let me just add before I do that, uh, according to NIST, the, the reason that Building 7 came down was because of thermally expanding beams pushing into a girder. How do you make that determination uh, that that event is going to happen from the outside of the building? Was this engineer on the inside measuring the, the beams with a little tape measure and saying, okay, about five hours now? Doesn't make any sense. All right, next uh, slide here. <clears throat> the specifics of the fires in World Trade Center 7 and how they caused the building to collapse remain unknown at this time. Although the total diesel fuel on the premises contained massive potential energy, the best hypothesis has only a low probability of occurrence. And that is from FEMA's performance study, May 2002. Yeah, so here now the, the lid is completely blown. There's no way that... Um, people on the scene should have been able to predict something that FEMA says has only a low probability of occurrence. The best, after nine months of thinking about it, the best thing that they can come up with, the best hypothesis has only a low probability of occurrence. How they don't know, FEMA doesn't know eight or nine months later, even though everybody at the scene knew before it was going to come down. I don't know of any example in history of an event that could be predicted beforehand and then not be impossible to explain afterwards. Um, when something like that happens, you say, how did the people know that it was going to happen? You know, if somebody, I mean, we can use some, some grim metaphors here, some you know, comparisons. Um, like somebody says, oh, Ted has a cough this morning. He's going to die tonight. And then I die. And then the coroner can't understand why I died. Um, you would be asking the person who said I was going to die, you know, what happened. Um, but that sadly has not um, happened here. All right, are we moving on to the next uh, slide? Yeah, I, th I think, um, yes. Okay. <clears throat> it says the World Trade Center towers and World Trade Center 7 are the only known cases of total structural collapse in high-rise buildings where fire played a role. That is from NIST. Uh, final plan, August 21st, 2002. Yeah, so this was at the, 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 the launch of the NIST investigation a couple of months after FEMA released its report. Um, as we pointed out in the last discussion two weeks ago, NIST is saying what the, what the conclusion is at the beginning of their investigation. Um, they have a predetermined conclusion. Um, but we also just are two months removed from FEMA saying that the best, best hypothesis has a low probability of occurrence. So why why is NIST so certain that it was fire? You know, um, obviously we know we know why. But let's uh, let's move to the next one. So the NIST investigation starts in August of two thousand two. How long does it take? NIST is trying to finish this this investigation in two years. Then it becomes three years. Then at the end, in midway through two thousand five, they say, oh, we're not going to be able to release our report on Building Seven. With along with the Twin Towers, it's going to take us longer. They released their report on Twin Towers in 2005. Then we get to 2006, the spring of 2006. What does um, Shime Sunder have to say? All right. Well, this is Mark Jacobson of New York Magazine. Right. He said NIST did have some pre uh, right. preliminary he's hypothesis. Let me, he's quoting oh. Shime Sunder here. Okay. Yeah. NIST did have some prim uh, preliminary hypotheses on 
Seven World Trade Center. Dr. Sunder said, we are studying the horizontal movement east to west internal to the structure on the fifth to seventh floors. Then Dr. Sunder paused, but truthfully, I don't really know. We've had trouble getting a handle on building number seven. All right, so four and a half years into their, three and a half years into their investigation, um, they're still having trouble getting a handle on, on building seven. Um, I don't, I think that it's self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, if you're not going to look at the most likely hypothesis and the only mm -hmm. hypothesis that's really possible, you're going to have trouble. So why don't we go to the next one? And I think we're, okay, I'm sorry. We can go back to, we can go back to Shyam's last statement and we'll go now to a video clip so of, of, this is in 2008. Um, Shime Sunder presenting at the release of the draft report of Building 7 in August 2008. We play the next video clip, Andy. Was why really Here did this building come down? And, um, and as we dug into it more carefully, we first looked at uh, whether the columns may have had uh, fuel because of the lot of uh, diesel fuel that was stored in the building. And we quickly uh, based on some calculations, figured out the fires that have been had to have been there for a very long time from the jet from the diesel fuel to actually bring this building down, um, and therefore we then had to look further. Um, and as we dug into it, we figured out that there was a phenomenon that we had not previously recognized in current practice: the issue of thermal expansion, which actually could cause this particular problem to happen. But that insight, we didn't have that insight till early last year, early part of 2007. Okay, so basically what he's, what he's admitting there is that they didn't have any idea until 2007. 2007, after almost five years of investigating, they finally came up with their theory. It was something that they had just never considered before. And it was something that has never been sort of thought, considered in design practice as being an issue of how buildings can come, you know, can collapse due to fire that you can, when he talks about thermal expansion, talking about, you know, beams, girders, heating up and expanding because of the heat. Um, that, that had never been considered as something that could really bring a building down. Um, and it took them four and a half years to come up with the idea. Um, I think that's an important thing that is often overlooked is how long it took NIST to come up with that theory. Juxtapose that with the absolute certainty that building was going to come down um, on 9-11, and obviously you, you have a problem here. So um, the last clip that we're going to play, go ahead, Andy. No, uh, yeah, I mean, they should have talked to the engineer on the street, as I said earlier, because he had a, he had a handle on it, supposedly, right there on that day. So. Yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and play the next clip. You want to introduce it more? Um, this is just one more comment from Shyam Sunder in his presentation. Um, and he's just explaining the theory, but I think the key words that he uses are at the beginning where he says building seven, the collapse building seven is no longer a mystery. Let's, so let's watch for that. Our take home message today is that the reason for the collapse of World Trade Center seven is no longer a mystery. World Trade Center 7 collapsed because of fires fueled by office furnishings. It did not collapse from explosives or from fuel oil fires. 
If it collapsed because fires, similar to those experienced in other tall buildings, burned in the absence of water supply to operate the sprinklers, and burned beyond the ability of firefighters to control it. It fell because thermal expansion, a phenomenon not considered in current building design practice, caused a fire-induced progressive collapse. So yeah, I think just what I, what I repeating what I just said before uses the word, you know, the collapse of building seven, the reason for the collapse is no longer a mystery. Um, and we, we understand having studied this and most people when they look at the collapse of building seven will understand that it, it was never a mystery. It was made a mystery by sadly by the engineering community and by the media uh, and so on. Um, and that mystery continues till today as we're gonna find out. Um, and then he goes on to talk about thermal expansion a little bit. Again, something that had never been considered in design practice, something that had never even come close to causing any sort of serious failures, whether total collapses or partial collapses, caused the collapse of this building and everybody on the scene knew that was gonna happen somehow. So obviously these stories are, are incompatible. All right. So as we can see there, I mean, you can see that Cheyenne Sunder has a little bit of a swagger to him. Like he's really trying to push it. Really wants people to buy this after they struggled for all of these years to come up with some explanation, an explanation for an event that the fire department was being told was a certainty. The building's going to come down in five hours, right down to the hour. So I hope everybody sees the point that Ted is making here. Uh, now, Ted, what uh, what is the next slide that we're going to show or the next video? I think now we want to move on to looking at Torero's paper. Um, so, so why don't we, this yeah. Slide, right? All yeah, right. next slide. Okay, let's move forward. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna like hand it over to Roland to carry the lion's share here um, in talking a little bit about these different theories. But these are the four, uh, these are the four studies that Torero discusses in his paper. The NIST one is, we, We've talked about already a little bit, although we haven't gone into any sort of detail, which we will a little bit. Arab Nordenson, um, which was representing, um, working for Sil sorry, working for Con Ed. Weidlinger and Hughes Associates was working for Silverstein. And then the, the BRE Center for Fire Safety and Engineering, which is out of um, University of Edinburgh, was also working for Con Edison. Um, you'll, as you notice, we were actually astonished, although maybe we shouldn't have been. We were kind of astonished when we first saw this paper in the fall of uh, 2020 and saw that the UAF study wasn't there, even though the UAF study was published earlier that year. Um, I'm gonna ask this question off the cuff. Roland, didn't somebody approach him and ask why Why was the UAF study not, not included in the paper? Were you privy to that um, outreach? No, I'm not privy to that. I, I didn't hear that. I recall that somebody contacted him and asked, and he said something about, the fire, fire scenario or the fire simulation of the UAF study not being um, robust enough or something like that. And and so he's just not gonna include it in his in his paper. Um, why not include it and then, you know, rebut it, say, say what's wrong, you know, why completely exclude it from the scientific um, debate, I guess, if you wanna call it that, that is, that is going on here. Um, so, yeah. Well, it would seem that that would be the logical uh, thing to do since he's pointing out that the studies that they have 
pointing to fire as the cause can't converge. So if that's the case, then you begin to look elsewhere. Yeah, you, you ought to, you ought to. Um, let's, why don't we, so we, we have two more uh, slides that are talking a little bit and then will help us sort of differentiate what these different theories are. Uh, All right, so this is the next quote, right? <clears throat> Yep. All right. It says, despite the tremendous efforts of the various investigative teams, there is no consensus regarding the exact initiating mechanism. IREP's analysis showed that girder 44 to 79 would be pulled off of its seat, opposite to the prediction by NIST, which show the girders pushed off of their seats. Okay. So those are the two differing theories from NIST and Arab. In a couple slides, we're going to have a little diagram so that we can explain a little bit more about what these theories consist of. But to repeat that, you've got Arup saying that this key girder is being pulled off its seat by several beams, which are sagging. And then you've got NIS saying that that same girder is pushed off its seat due to the expansion of those beams. So let's move on to the next slide. A little bit of a contradiction there. All right, it says, WAI's analysis points towards a floor beam connection following, followed by entire floor collapsing. Finally, the BRE mechanical room fire scenario predicts that the failure may have occurred due to a completely different fire caused by a breach of the emergency power system. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so these two theories are, we're gonna talk a little bit more in a second, are more different than the first, from the first two. The, 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 the theory at the top of the slide, Weidlinger's has to do essentially said like a lower floor saying that floor was just super, super heated and, and collapsed. And because the other floors below it were super, super heated with outrageous temperatures that aren't, wouldn't have been really possible. All those floors collapsed on each other. That's just the starting point um, of their theory. And then there's this other totally different theory from Torero, um, the, the BRE Fire Safety Institute. Um, which has to do with a fire much lower down in the building. Uh, so why don't we go to the next slide and, and maybe Roland can talk a little bit more about the different the different theories here. Roland? Okay, well, this is the floor plan and the Weidlinger and the Arab and the NIST reports all focus on this particular section of the of the northeast corner. These are the longest beams in the building, the five horizontal red lines that you see there. And so the NIST report and the Arup report say that it was the thermal effect of the fires on these five beams that led to the initiation of the collapse. NIST says that the five beams were heated and expanded and all the expansion took place to the west, that is to the left, and therefore pushed that girder, the girder A2001, which runs between column 44 and 79, off of its seat at column 79, which led to the collapse of that northeast corner of the floor, which hit the floors below it and caused them to collapse all the way down to the fifth floor left column 79 unsupported for those nine floors and so it buckled that buckling led to 
the uh, failure of the uh, the B, the column adjacent to it, 80, which is hidden there under the label for column 79, and then column 81 failed. So those three columns on the east end of the core had failed, which led to a progression of collapses across the core. And, and once those collapsed, they pulled in the perimeter columns, and that's what led to the collapse of the building. So the difference there is that this claims that the east wall of the building did not move and the expansion of the five beams pushed girder A2001 off of its seat at column 79. The Arup report said that the east wall of the building was flexible and that the beams pulled the uh, girder off of its seat at column 79 when they cooled, when after the fire had gone by, they sagged and it was the shortening of those beams that pulled the girder off of its seat at 79 and led to the same sequence of events that NIST called call for. So there's, a, there's two different mechanisms there, both related to the thermal effect of the uh, fire on the, the beams in the northeast corner of the building. They have opposite conclusions. Was it pushed? Was it pulled? Well, uh, that's, that's a contradiction that has to be resolved. Then the Weidlinger report focuses on the beams further down uh, along the east side uh, that run between the beams that run into column 79, uh, the, the, the beam that goes between 79, 80, and 81. That girder has beams also framing into it from the east side. And Weidlinger claims that the fires on the ninth floor were so intense, eighth and ninth floors were so intense that they broke those connections. The girders between 79 and 80 and 80 and 81 were, uh, those connections failed. So that whole section of the floor collapsed and that's what caused the columns 79, 80 and 81 to fail. And the progression occurred from there just as NIST and the Arup report had said. So there you have a completely different scenario in terms of which connections failed, which beams failed, which girders fell off their seats, and so on. And th this is complicated because the connections between 79 and 44 and 79 and 80 are different kinds of connections. So you have to have a completely different uh, analysis about why those connections failed. None of that is spelled out in a way that is uh, convincing. Uh, so that's, that's a third explanation. And then of course the BRE uh, examination said that it was actually caused by the diesel fuel that uh, leaked out of the supply lines on the fifth floor. And those fires burned sufficiently long to weaken some trusses that were in the lower part of the building that connected the columns in the building to the uh, caissons that went through the Con Edison station into the foundation. And that's what caught, that's what failed. And that's what caused the building to come down. So you have four different analyses, four different mechanisms, and none of them uh, are, are uh, compatible with one another, except that they all are claiming that heat, either from the office fires or from the diesel fuel uh, caused thermal movement of the frame, which 
initiated the collapse and led to the total collapse. It's not consensus whatsoever in any uh, in any way. Different different analyses. And the only consensus is that they're not going to even acknowledge the most obvious reason this building came down, which is controlled demolition. Ted, you were going to say something? Yeah, I want to just maybe point out one or two like key weak points or flaws in each of these theories. Um, obviously, we've spent a lot of time over the years talking about the issues with the NIST theory. You know, the biggest issue is that the, I mean, for a number of reasons, that girder will not actually be pushed off its seat. Um, it it would get, the girder itself would expand. So it's going to expand southward when you look at that that um, diagram and get stuck in the, co in the column that it's framing into in the side plate of it. Um, I mean, there, there's even there's even other reasons beyond that. I mean, we're talking shear studs that that um, were, were in the beams and the girder that would make it impossible for them to actually expand as much as they allegedly did. There, there, there's many, many. So I, I mean, we could spend a, obviously an hour going into the issues with that. Um, but one thing that one thing that's interesting that distinguishes the NIST theory and the and the Weidinger theory from um, the Arab Nordensen theory is that they really, in order to get this sort of cascading of floor failures, they really depend on saying that there was a lot of fire damage to the other floors. Um, because as as is the case with the, and this is probably, you could say it's a key flaw in the Arab study, the second study about the idea that the girder was pulled off of its seat. Um, they don't allege that there were fires on all these floors, that these floors were super weakened. Um, and damaged by the fires because they want to keep in mind they want to say that there was a design flaw so it doesn't really help their case if there's like there was fires in all these floors and damage everywhere because like and so they 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 just say that without any significant necessarily fire damage just by the force of that girder falling it would break through the next floor down when you actually do the math you, and you know, when you look at how they did that and as Tony Zambodi has pointed out many times, they, they use a point load. Um, so like all the force of the falling girder, they do, they, it's like calculated as if that was applied on one point instead of it being sort of distributed and absorbed throughout the floor. Um, and so, so their analysis was very flawed with that using the point load and Weidlinger pointed this out. This was a Weidlinger critique of the Arab study that you can't calculate it you can't calculate the force in that way and so really that right there you can dismiss the um the arab the arab nordenson analysis because you're not going to get the cascade of floor failures nist and, and weidlinger try to say that there was all this other damage to the lower floors if you actually really read the nist report carefully um and we, we did this when we were putting together the request for correction and the appeal and the request for correction you find out that NIST doesn't have a cohesive, comprehensive story of how the cascade of floor failures actually occurred, because the the fire damage that they allege wasn't didn't exist. There wasn't fire damage according to them in certain places. Um, the Weidlinger theory just tries to like avoid all that complexity by saying it got really really hot everywhere on, the, on that part of the floor, and so once one of the floors fell, it would easily break through all the floors below it because it was so so hot and i think nist um alleges correct me if i'm wrong roland but i think nist the temperatures that nist alleges are not as high as the temperatures that um weidlinger alleges 
and Weidlinger lunges these extremely high temperatures. And that's sort of the, the flaw, the key flaw in the Weidlinger study. And they have this um, thermal analysis, a fire simulation uh, analysis that, that was done by Hughes Associates and by a guy named Craig Baylor that has not actually been released. And, and whereas the rest of the Weidlinger report has been <laughs> And Torero points this out in his paper. He points out that, oh, the, the main issue with this, with the Weidlinger study, and the, 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 the Hughes Associates study is that they didn't release the fire portion of their analysis. So we don't really know what they're what they're claiming and how they got so high. So that's what I wanted to say about the, those three of where I perceive at least the, the weaknesses to be the key weaknesses to be in those three. Um, Roland, do you have any anything to say about the key weakness of perhaps of the the BRE study, the diesel fuel theory? Well, NIST claimed that there were there was insufficient evidence and, and they had done calculations on the amount of fuel based upon what they recovered, that there was insufficient fuel load from the diesel oil to have caused a fire that would have sufficiently weakened those truss uh, mecha, uh, structures in the, in the fifth floor. So they explicitly ruled out that and said that they had studied that. Furthermore, I don't think that Torero, I don't see any evidence that he analyzed the failure of the trusses. He simply claims that they would have weakened the trusses in a manner to cause them to collapse. And I don't see any evidence that there is an analysis that says that the collapse of those trusses, even if they had occurred, would have brought down the columns above them in such a way as to cause the collapse as, as it was observed. So the, the NIST analysis directly confronts the hypothesis that the uh, BRE analysis puts forward, which is essentially Torero. And so you have opposing uh, the, 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 the NIST report, the Weidlinger report, confronts the NIST report, the Arab report confronts the NIST report, the NIST report confronts the Torero report, all of them saying, we're right, you're wrong. These are, these are things that have got to be sorted out one way or another. Of course, from our perspective, we're saying that they can't sort them out because that's not the mechanism that brought the building down. And even when you try to make their analyses work, you can't get a result that shows the building coming down in the manner in which it did. So the conflicting reports amongst these four analyses would indicate that none of them are valid and there needs to be uh, uh, another look. And the UAF report provided that analysis and said, we looked at fire. We looked at all these different mechanisms for fire causing the failure. We can't make the building fail using fire uh, thermal expansion as the mechanism. And therefore, we look for something that would work. And this is the only way that we can bring it down in the manner which was observed, which is take out eight floors of columns in all the buildings uh, pretty much simultaneously. So the fact that uh, the Torero report here 
released last year says that there's no consensus would indicate that they would be looking for another theory. And yet they explicitly do not look at the UAF report and uh, come up with excuses like, oh, it's not robust enough. Or basically they're saying uh, the UAF report doesn't have a standing. We're not going to consider it. And that's just not the way things are done. Now, who, who was it who said that it wasn't robust enough? Was that a boot? It was Terrero. Terrero. Oh, Terrero. Okay. So we'll put your money where it's, your mouth is then. Come on video or come on, you don't have to come on this show, but you can make your own video, do your own presentation and critique the University of Alaska report. That is what they do in the engineering community, is it not? That's what they do in science. Don't just say it's not robust. Show us. We want the criticism. We want the critique. We want you to at least demonstrate that you know what you're talking about, because I don't think that you probably do. Um, but again, for it not to be considered as one of the hypotheses or actually as one of the studies that is uh, uh, part of uh, this dialogue just shows that they don't even want to look in this direction. And it seems like they would. It seems like they would be interested in a new investigation into this building's quote-unquote collapse, which is what we asked for. It's the only thing that we asked for, considering the fact that we don't even have a clear idea on what really happened. I mean, we have a clear idea, but they don't. So why not support a new investigation? Why not give us what we want and consider all possibilities, even the use of explosives? That's how science is done. And of course, 9-11 is such an important event. Why wouldn't we get a better idea? of uh, what ultimately filled this building. All right, are we moving on to the next slide, Ted? Yeah, I think we can. I think we're just kind of wrapping up here. I think this is a conclusive statement. <clears throat> All right, let's read it. There is consensus amongst the investigators regarding two main aspects of the collapse of World Trade Center 7. Fire was the primary cause of the failure and the failure initiated in the east side of the building somewhere in the lower 14 floors. And that is uh, the, the collapse of World Trade Center 7 revisited from Torero. I'm going to go mute because my dog is barking. So bear with me. Go on, Ted. Well, uh, you know, again, it's consensus. Uh, first of all, these two points to have consensus on, I mean, this is a, a very, very low bar for consensus. Uh, it was fire and somewhere below the 14th floor. Um, I mean, that's that's not much of a consensus when you uh, consider that if you really want to understand how this building came down, um, the, the, the engineering community, if, if we're to trust at all the idea that this building came down due to fire, th there should be one there should be one theory at this point. Um, that's and, you know, Roland has has made that quite clear better than me. Um, yeah, that's really all I, I got to say about it, Roland. Yeah, again, this is not consensus. This is this is uh, a generalization that when you look at the specifics falls apart. You've got four different four different hypotheses here of the initiating event. It's critically important for the engineering community to understand which of those four events is true, if any of them are. And since they all conflict with one another in one way or another, then perhaps it's time to look outside of that consensus, especially when you have a report done by a, 
a structural engineering professor of some standing in the community, longstanding uh, uh, authority. He is uh, not, he, he, this was a four-year study that he carried out and he came to the conclusion that fire couldn't make it happen. So if, if the four leading official stories in regard to this event can't agree on how the fire brought the building down, then it's time to look at another mechanism. And the fact that they are adamantly refusing to look at that other uh, uh, theory is an indication that there's something going on here that is not, uh, it's not ethical. This is, this is not, this is not the way things are done. We, the scientific method as a, as practiced in the engineering community calls for uh, a dialogue between sometimes opposing points of view and in the effort to explain each view, the truth is going to come out. And that's not what's happening here. One side is being suppressed and the other side has no consensus. So therefore we have not resolved this problem and we need a new investigation. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next slide here. Okay, and it says, the collapse of World Trade Center 7 remains to this day a unique event in the history of structural fire engineering. Despite occurring nearly 20 years ago, there is no real way to know what exactly caused its failure. And that is from Torero himself. Ted? Are we able to play the video? Not that we need to. It's sort of a, a shorter version of a video that we already saw where the um, Joe Cantali, the fire, uh, the cameraman is saying the building is about to blow up. So mainly this was just to, to bring it to a close and say, you know, you have a wild goose chase on one side for, uh, you know, a consensus on a fire-based theory that's never, never going to be reached, um, pretending that it's a mystery that we can never know. And then of course you have people on the day of 9-11 before it happened saying exactly what was gonna happen and what the cause was, was that it was gonna blow up. Um, it's really unfortunate to see. And it's, it's mind boggling, boggles the mind that all of these engineers are in, in this fantasy land um, and not, not willing to take their heads out of the sand. Roland? It's not acceptable to say that there's no real way to know what exactly caused its failure. It, I think Torero is deliberately raising uh, his theory at this point in time as an explanation that's uh, to point out that there is no explanation. And I think that's really, it's destructive to our profession for somebody in his position to be making that kind of statement as if to shrug his shoulders and walk away and say, well, this is something that we just don't understand and we never will understand. That's not the way that we work. We can't afford to do that. If we don't understand something, we need to find out how to understand it. And we need to persist until we do so. And what we're getting here is a suppression of dissenting view that has merit on its face and 
Instead, it's being dismissed without discussion, and we're being told there's no way to understand what happened. Not acceptable. Not acceptable at all unless you want the public to remain quiet, you want the general public to basically write this off as an academic issue, barely understand it, and just uh, rely on the fact that they heard somebody on TV somewhere say it was a fire-induced collapse loaded with a bunch of jargon and move on with their lives. But basically, they have no idea why this building came down, or maybe they do have an idea. and Maybe their idea leads them to us being right, you know? Again, if the, if the University of Alaska study is not robust enough, if it falls short in some way, then go out there and prove it. Don't just say it. Uh, put your money where your mouth is, but they aren't going to do that because uh, you, they really can't refute it, and they can't refute all the evidence, and more importantly, they can't refute common sense. You watch Building 7 fall. It looks like a controlled demolition. It most likely is, and then when you look into that evidence and see it all for yourself, and you see these horrible stories that NIST is putting out, that's the official one, and then these all these other conflicting reports, you know in the end that that is what happened, and that's why at the very least we need a new investigation. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys? Well, the answer is right there. I mean, the answer it's it's not a mystery, you know. So I got to keep at it. Um, I, I think, I think it's, 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 it's working, you know, although albeit slowly, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a mystery. That's, I think one of the important things to keep uh, drumming home here. Yeah. yeah, we solved the mystery years ago. Well, Ted, thank you so much for all of your research, Roland too, uh, for your input on this. I think this has been a very important series. People need to spread this around. If you have engineer friends, out there who uh, maybe don't haven't looked into the videos that we've produced or any of the evidence, this would be a very good thing to pass along to them on YouTube. Tell them where we're wrong. Tell them what we're not getting right and uh, use this as an outreach material. But guys, thank you so much and uh, thanks for coming on 9-11 Freefall today. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for all you're doing. All right, thank you again for watching this very important series and let us know what you think. You can go to 911freefall.com, go to the contact box and give us your ideas about these shows. If you've got ideas for other shows, other guests, send them on in. How about for my part, this is Andy Skill saying I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. Z Steel, say have a great week. Good luck. <laughs>